Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, we're going to look at those two questions today, and I'm going to recap the one a few weeks ago, and then we're going to dive into that last one today. And for those of you joining us online at Rossville, thank you so much for tuning in today. So here are the two questions, right? When it comes to our marriage, there's really only these two questions. And I really feel like, honestly, if you were to say, preacher, well, we need some marriage advice. Well, here, here it is. It's all I've got. It's all that's in my repertoire are these two questions. And the first one is this question. We looked at it a few weeks ago, the beyond question. Am I willing to move beyond the hurt and disappointment? Because we know, right, we know that when two human beings uh, unite together in marriage and in relationship, like we know there's going to be hurt, we know there's going to be disappointment. Because what you think he's going to be and what you think she's going to be, can I just be honest with you? They ain't. They ain't, right? It's like getting really excited for a Tennessee football game. You have all these expectations that just aren't delivered later on. And so Mary, I know you won yesterday, I know, I know. But, you know, uh, the marriage is a little bit the same way. You have all these hopes and expectations and they aren't quite delivered and you're going to get hurt in that process. And the question becomes, the only way your marriage is going to work is if you answer this question, are you willing to move beyond the hurt and disappointment? So what, what's the second thing? The second question I want to say is the become question. And I'll tell you what that is in a moment. I want to preach on that today. And I'm going to be all over the Bible. And I put all the verses up on the screen. So just take notes and jot them down. And if you miss something, you can go back and watch it online and grab it there later on. Let's talk about the become question today. So, I, uh, you know, I do marriages. All our pastors on staff, we do marriages. And when we, we marry someone, these are basically the vows, we use some shape, form, or fashion of these vows. I know there are people who uh, don't always use these traditional type vows, but these things are baked in to most vows. I'll, I'll read them to you. So, so when you got married, you probably did some version of this, right? I, Joel, take this sherry to be my wedded wife or husband, to, to have and a hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish, to death to his part, according to God's holy ordinance, and I, and there too, I pledge thee my faith. You did some version of these vows. Now, I want to break those down just for a second. So you said, for example, to have and to hold. Now, that implies uh, in possession. That implies affection. That apply, implies permanency, right, to have. Not that you have them as their possession, but you, they have you as theirs. And, and to hold affection from this day forward, permanency, get this, for better, or say this with me, worse, right? Worse is coming, right? Can I get amen? No, don't say amen. Don't say amen. It gets you in trouble. Uh, better, worse. How about this one? Richer, or say it with me, poorer. Most of the time it starts off poorer or richer, but it can go this way, I guess. And get this one. In sickness and in health, right? So, so here's what we've heard so far. In good times, and in bad, I'm going to do what? I'm going to love and to cherish, right? So our vows say that regardless of what comes our way, right? Regardless of, of uh, what's going on in the marriage, that in the good times and bad, we're just trying to flower it up a little bit 
and, and tell you that good times, bad times, here's what we're going to do. Through it all, we're going to what? Say it with me. Love and to what? Cherish. Now, how long are we going to do that till? Till I murder you, right? Until the end. Don't believe in divorce, but murder's kind of okay, right? So, till death do us part. Till death do us part. Though that's a version of the vows or the actual vows that we said on the day we got married. Now hear me, here's the subtle trick of these vows. Hear me. Here's the subtle trick of these vows. That when you say those vows, you probably cannot live or pull those vows off at that moment in your life. That's the truth of it. Like when you, when you say those vows in the good times or in the bad times, love and to cherish till death do us part, at that moment in your life, you do not have the capabilities of actually living out the vows that you just said. And by the way, can I say this? Nobody expects you to have those capabilities. Your, your love is still fresh. Your love is still new. Your love is still in its infancy at that moment. And um, it'd be difficult for you to live up to those vows that moment. When you, when you get married, uh, see if I can go backwards here. They taught me how to go backwards. Let me see if I can do it. All right. Let's see, let's see how, all right. So, so when we, when we get married, we're really good with the holding. We're really good with uh, the better. We're really good with the richer. We're really good with the health. We're really good loving, cherishing in that moment. But we're not really thinking about the bad times when we get married. But here's the great, here's the great truth not unveiled at the wedding day. Listen, if, if I do premarriage counseling, I do it in groups. And when I do it, uh, uh, here's the great truth about premarriage counseling. I've got these 20 something year olds in my office. And and we're talking about marriage, and I try to warn them. I try to tell them this is coming, but can I tell you, uh, shortly after you get married, life is going to smack you in the face with a two-by-four, and things aren't going to unfold the way you picture them unfolding in your mind, right? Kids come along, and that doesn't exactly the Instagram video you have in your mind of your kid experience is not really going to be the experience you really have. Kids add, as much as we love them, they add a measure of anxiety and tension to a marriage, right? Job pr trouble are going to come along. Uh, guess what? You get married and now you have to pay all your bills and now money issues are going to develop. Health issues may develop. Culture and world issues may develop. You may find yourself somewhere along the way, and for the first time, you're not agreeing on everything in life. And all of these things will storm into your life. Listen, hear me. Before you are the person that can even fulfill those vows, that's the problem. Then it's a problem with marriage that I say those vows, but I'm not yet capable of fulfilling those vows. And for I, before I can become the kind of person who can fulfill those vows, life storms in and tries to, tries to wreck, wreck my marriage before I'm even ready for my marriage. Did you know studies show that between jobs, the kids, television, the internet, hobbies, work, and home responsibility... Do you know how much time the average married couple spends j together, just the two of them a day? Somebody guess. How much time does the average married couple spend together, just the two of them? Anybody want to guess? Four minutes a day. Four minutes a day. 
I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be honest. It's hard to create a meaningful relationship in four minutes a day. It's hard to become that person that you need to be as a husband, that person you need to be as a wife when you're interacting four minutes a day. And man, when you first get married, this kind of sets in. And especially, can we say, especially when you have kids. Man, we, we love kids. If you're a kid, we love you. But man, there was a measure of tension you added because you didn't sleep at night. You got sick. We had to go to the doctor. And four minutes would seem like an eternity. If you had four minutes off, you're like, let's take a nap. We need four minutes for a nap, right? Forget relationship. And all of a sudden, marriage, marriage becomes harder than what we thought it was going to be on the day we got married. I, I saw some people tweeted out some things that let you know how hard marriage is. This guy said, just a reminder that if you didn't start discussing what to get for dinner tonight with your spouse three days ago, it's already too late. <laughs> right? So if you don't know where you're going for lunch today, it's too late. Just go home and eat out of the refrigerator. Uh, uh, th- this lady said, married life is just sending each other links to home appliances that we will never purchase. I love that. Uh, this is my favorite here. This guy said, went to the grocery store to pick up a few things and only had to call my wife seven times. I'm very familiar with that statement. And, and here, this may be my favorite one, actually. When my wife wants to mess with me, she'll say, guess what today is? It's nothing, but marriage becomes harder to figure out, right? Marriage becomes harder to to live up to. So how do we do it? Well, here's here's what we have to do. Even though when we say those vows, we aren't ready to live them out, the, the trick to marriage is, the secret to marriage is that you are willing to become the person that can live out those vows. Hear me. The second greatest question of marriage is not this. Are you the person that can live out those vows. But will you become the person who can fulfill those marriage vows? Not are you when you get married. Not are you even right now in your relationship. I I don't care if you've been married five years, 10 years, 50 years. The question right now is not are you the person, are you the husband, are you the wife that can live up to those vows? The question is this, the become question. Are you willing to become the person you need to be in order to make your marriage work? Are you willing to become the person you need to be in order to make the marriage work? That is the second greatest question of marriage. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to give you about six things that you need to become to make your marriage what it ought to be. So jot these down. Number one, here's the question. Will you become the person who walks with God? Now, I know what you're saying. You're thinking, wait a minute, preacher, I thought this was a marriage sermon. It, it is, but I want you to look at 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says this, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, here, here's what Paul, if you go back and read, uh, Peter, if you go back and read that whole passage there in 1 Peter chapter 3, you read all that God wants a husband and wife to do. As a matter of fact, we're going to do it in a moment. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. And there's, a, there's an exhaustive list of what makes a good husband and what makes a, a good wife. But one thing immediately becomes obvious, and that's this. There's no way you can be the husband or wife you need to be without a consistent walk with God. 
This whole passage in Peter is about a husband's and a wife's walk with God in the context of marriage. If you go back and look at it, for example, in verse 2, he's he's talking about marriage. He's talking about living a pure and reverent life. In verse 4, he's talking about pay attention to what's inside the heart. In verse number 7, he's talking about prayers that that, that don't become hindered. And so all that Paul is trying to tell us, Peter's trying to tell us rather, that that's just a taste of what it takes for you to have the marriage you ought to have, that in order order for your marriage to be what it ought to be, you have to become a spouse that has a vibrant walk with God. You, you have to become a husband. You have to become a wife has a vibrant walk with God. Here's the truth. Hear me this morning. The closer to God you become, the closer you will get to your spouse and the better your marriage will become. Wait, did you hear that? I don't think you heard it. The closer to God you become, the closer to your spouse you'll become and the better your marriage will become i wish i had a daniel i I want a whiteboard up here i want to be able to draw on this i I kept thinking about it all week but i wish i could draw a triangle up here and if you put god at the top and you put the husband over here and you put the wife over here you'd see that big gap in between them how do they get closer together as they both march towards god at the top They both get closer and closer to one another. So many marriages miss the boat here. But the closer you get to God, here's what happens. Let let me show you these and just, he empowers you to be what you ought to be. Did did you know in just a moment when when we read Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to discover that God expects a lot out of a husband and God expects a lot out of a wife. And what you'll discover when you figure out what God wants from you, that you can't do it on your own. But the closer I get to God, the more he empowers me to be what ought to be. Not not only that, he, he convicts me of wrong the closer I am to God. The softer and more tender my heart is. So when that I'm doing wrong, when my attitudes are wrong, when, when, my, when my language is wrong, when my actions are wrong, here's what, the closer I am to God, he convicts me of that and lets me uh, uh, um, uh, go beyond it. Not only that, the closer I am to God, he leads me into truth. He leads me into truth. All of that happens because I'm a person who's walking with God. This is the missing ingredient in most of our marriages. When a marriage goes bad, I always want to ask, tell me about your walk with God. Because it is your walk with God that will determine how good your marriage is and how lasting your marriage can be. I don't know if you saw this or not. I read read this article the other day, and this is a Lego set. And a customer came across this custom set of Legos at Target, and apparently it's a rare kind of Legos, a Star Wars set that has over, <laughs> I don't do Legos. I mean, I mean, we probably have a bag at home for the grandkids, but I mean, I, I don't do Legos. Like, as an adult, I don't do them. But this particular Lego set had over 3,000 pieces, cost $350. And here's where I get off the boat. The instructions are 400 pages long. I just quit. I just gave up. Well, one guy found him in Target. Target had one set. He found it. He bought him. He went home, and he spent hours and hours and hours putting this thing together, hundreds of pages into the instructions. As a matter of fact, he was almost at the end, and it told him to open bag 14. 
And guess what was missing from the set? Bag 14. Y'all are so smart. Hundreds of hours. Bag 14's gone. So he emailed Lego customer service and said, this is never going to work. They'll never send me a bag 14. And this letter became famous. And here's what the customer service rep said. Dear John, thanks for getting in touch with us and providing that information. I'm sorry that you're missing bag 14 from your Moss Isley Cantina. This must be the work of Lord Vader. Fear not, for I have hired Han to get that bag right out to you. You're an order number and you should, it should be arriving in the next seven to ten days or less than 12 parsecs. Have a bricktastic day and may the force be with you. I absolutely love that letter. I love that letter. What a great custom, uh, customer service way when a guy had spent hours and hundreds of dollars and a lot of brain power to get to the end and figure out he was missing one of the most important ingredients. And so many people have done that in their marriage, that they dive into their marriage and you're like, I've watched all the sitcoms. I know how marriage is supposed to work. I've watched the chick flicks. I know how marriage is supposed to work. And guess what? Marriage is nothing like that. And you find out you're missing the most important bag. And that is your walk with Jesus. As a child of God, if you want your marriage to be what it ought to be, you have to become the person who walks with God. Dads, your wife and your kids need you walking with God. Wife, your husband and your kids need you walking with God. So many marriages could be repaired if the husband would walk with God and the wife would walk with God. God would fix your marriage issues. The question is, will you become the person who walks with God. You say, preacher, we're having marriage issues right now, but it's just not what it ought to be. Maybe the fire's not there. Maybe the zing is not there. Maybe the, maybe the fighting is too much. Maybe the mood is not what it ought to be. Where do we start? Here's where we start right now. Walk with God. And when you sincerely walk with God, by the way, you're reading your Bible and you're not looking for what your wife is doing wrong. You're reading your Bible and you're not looking for what your husband's doing wrong, but you're reading your Bible and you're saying to yourself, God, here's what I want to accomplish through this. I want to grow closer to you. I'm going to spend time in prayer and I'm going to go closer to you. What's going to happen is you're going to become a person who walks with God and God will make you better and God will make your marriage better. The question is, will you become that person? Number two, the question is, will you become the person who will always instead of until? Always instead of until. Look at this verse. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Talking about love, it's the great chapter on love. If you know your Bible at all, most people are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. Here's what he says. That love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You look that verse up in the Greek, and it can be translated several ways, but one of the ways this word can be translated is always. One of the definitions of, and it's used other places in Scripture and translated as the word always. And so 
instead of saying all, you can construct the translation this way, and some do it. You, you can construct the translation this way, and it, it would do great service to the passage. You could say it this way. Love always bears. Love always believes. Love always hopes. Love always endures. Always. Love's always bears up. Love always believes in the other person. Love always hopes. Love's, love always endures. You say it at the altar, right? You say it at the altar. But in order for your marriage to become what it ought to be, you personally have to be an always person, not an until person. What do you mean, preacher? Here's what I mean. You're going to have to be the person who loves always. Always. That forgives always. That stays always. That works on your marriage always. That becomes better always. Instead, we are until people. And we say always at the altar, but then we love this way. We love until we get angry or hurt. We, we stick with it until we get in an argument. We forgive until the sin is too egregious. And somewhere along in our marriage, we say always, but we become until people. We say always at the altar, but we become until partners in the marriage. And can I tell you, the difference between being an always spouse and an until spouse is the difference between being a babysitter and having a baby. You know, a babysitter cares for your child. But not hang up with my boyfriend and pay attention to the child of care, just I care. Like a babysitter may love, but not throw themselves in front of a burglar kind of love. A babysitter may provide, but not the give up of yourself to provide. As a matter of fact, the babysitter takes from you in order to provide. And when it's all over, a babysitter has an escape mechanism because if you don't show back up at home, they're going to call the police and they're going home. They're out of there. A babysitter is not always. They're until. But a parent is an always. And a husband is supposed to be an always. And a wife is supposed to be and always, and we aren't supposed to have an escape mechanism in the back of our minds. We will never commit ourselves totally to marriage until we become the always person. That we've got to become the person who will always, instead of until. Don't be an until spouse. Be an always spouse. And that takes you walking with God. And when you walk with God and he puts the love of Jesus Christ in your heart, Jesus is an always savior, not an until savior. You've got to be willing to become an always. The kind in, you, you can't get rid of me, I'm always going to be here. Let me show you the third thing. I'm, I'm preaching too long. Number three, you've got to become the spouse in God's design. 
What does it mean to, to become questioned? It means you have to become the spouse in God's design. I, I literally, I can't spend the time I want to here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you these verses and you can just write them down. They're in Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 to 29. And you see them in your scripture, but I'm just gonna run through them. I just want you to see them in print and I'm not gonna even preach them. I'm just gonna let you see them. He, he says in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves as to the Lord, right? And so women are like, oh, I'm not supposed to, you are, you're supposed to submit. The loving leadership of your husband, you are to be uh, under that. But then he says, uh, uh, ladies, just you think you get one verse. Let me show you what we have. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he's the savior of the body, all right? Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. He is the leader of the home. But now husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You say, what does it mean to love my wife? It means that you are to give your life to her the same way Jesus gave his life for the church. I'll bounce with you ladies. I'd switch places any day of the week with you. To make her holy, cleansing, with the washing of the water by the word, speaking of how the husband is supposed to conduct his home. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Here, here's what you love about this passage. Here's what it said, that Jesus gave himself for his bride, the church, so that he could invest in his bride and make her everything, help the bride reach its ultimate potential. So here's what it's saying to us as husbands. Paul is saying to us as husbands that we are to so invest in our wives that our wives are in splendor, that we are helping them reach their highest potential. It is not that we are to sit back and be served by our wives, men. It is that we are to so invest Invest in our wives the way Jesus invested in the church. And we're to love their, our wives as their own bodies. For no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. I challenge you to go read Ephesians 5 to yourself. But men, the question is, are you willing to become the husband that loves your wife more than yourself and lays down your needs for her needs? Ladies, are you willing to become the wife that has, lets her husband lead the home and show him respect in the process? Point number four. Are you willing to become the person who puts your spouse above yourself? The great verse. I feel like I need to read it often in church. Philippians 2.4. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. And I'm, I mentioned this the other day, so I'm gonna, not going to spend a lot of time here but the point is in marriage the reason it falls apart the reason a marriage is not good is that we're putting our needs above our husband's needs we're putting our needs above our wife's needs our needs above our spouse's needs when basic christianity says do differently basic christianity says we're not looking at it for our own interest but rather the interests of others can i tell you this selfishness has killed many a marriage. But hear me, selflessness has killed none. In order for your marriage to be the kind of marriage it ought to be, it takes both spouses deferring to the other. Two more things. Number five, ask yourself this question. Are you willing to become the person that goes from me to we? The great, the great mystery of marriage is the Bible says two people become one. It's not Joel and it's not Sherry, it's Joel and Sherry. 
And the reason so many marriages are on a hard time is that never really happened. It happened physically, but it didn't happen spiritually. It didn't happen emotionally. And in so many ways, a marriage, I see it, it's like, it's like a brother and sister living together instead of a husband or wife. And two people never became one. It's that two single people just started living together with a certificate that said it was okay to do it. And the husband stayed single and the wife stayed single and they came together physically but never emotionally, never, never spiritually came together. And so if you look at it, you have all the ingredients of the we, but you've never put them together. Have you ever made brownies at your house? You ever made brownies? I'm sure you have. Here's all the ingredients that goes in, uh, uh, well, they're no longer two, but one flesh. And I, I, I say that too. Here's all the ingredients that goes into brownies, right? If you make good homemade brownies, you got cocoa powder, milk, and vanilla, and sugar, and walnuts, and uh, amen, and baking powder, and chocolate, and butter, everybody say amen, and eggs, and flour, and brown sugar, and butter, right? Like, and butter. Did I say butter? You got a lot of butter in there. If you want to make brownies, that they're, they're all the ingredients that grows in brownies. So here's what you do. You go home and you get out a, a 9 by 13 baking pan. I think that's the size. And I want you to take all these ingredients, and I just want you to put a box of cocoa powder in there and a, and, and a, and a, and a, and a half a gallon of milk and put a thing of vanilla in there and a bag of sugar and a bag of walnuts and just shove that in the oven. You know what's going to come out? The most delicious brownies you've ever eaten in your life. Is that what will happen? No, you know what? You're going to start a fire in your house. You know why? Because I just can't put all these things in their containers in the oven. You say, well, preacher, I got all the ingredients in them. I do, but you didn't put them together. You didn't put them together. You can have all the pieces, but you got you to gotta whip them together the way they belong. That's going from me to we. A lot of marriages have all the pieces that you have a house and you have a car and you got kids and you got a piece of paper, but it's still two me's and not one we. Are you willing to become the we person? Number six, I'm finished. I put this in here because it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Are you willing to become the person that enjoys life with your wife? I love Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. Take pleasure in the wife of your youth. If you don't have a great marriage, you have to enjoy life with your wife. You've got to enjoy life with your husband. You've got to make it a passionate pursuit to enjoy one another's presence first peter 3 verse 7 said this i I referenced it a minute ago and i want to come back to it he said live with your wives in an understanding way an understanding way You, you know what that means that we have to learn one another men you don't need to figure out women you just need to figure out your wife Ladies, you don't need to figure out men. You just need to figure out your husband. An understanding way. If your marriage is going to thrive, are you willing to become that person that will passionately pursue a life of joy with your husband or a life of joy with your wife? When we saw it deteriorate in 2020, 
in 2020 when husbands and wives had to go home and now they didn't get a nine-hour work break from one another. They're both working at home together. The divorce rate, filings for divorce skyrocketed in 2020. Why? Because they had not taken the time to become the person that enjoys life with their spouse. Can I say to you that you ought to be best friends? You ought to enjoy one another's company. You should look forward to going home. You ought to light up when your spouse walks into the room. You should enjoy your husband and wife. Hear me, not as much as when you were first dating, but more than when you were first dating. More. Are you willing to become that person? Close your Bibles and I'm finished. 2019, there was a lady named Elizabeth Hode who was fed up with men. Maybe men were fed up with her too because she had been engaged four times and all the engagements had been called off. Four times, four different men. She had been on 220 dates looking for love. And in 2019, she gave up. She finally met the person of her dreams in 2019, she got married, and she married her dog. Seriously, she married a dog. Legal ceremony, absolutely married her dog. He's a cute groom and all that, but um, she married her dog. Y'all with me? She married her dog. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. and Don't you dare say it out loud. You're thinking, well, preacher, I did too. <laughs> don't, don't, don't say it. Some of you feel like you married a dog. But you know you didn't. You didn't. You just have to answer the become question, both of you. Both of you. Will you be the person who walks with God? Will you be the person who will always, instead of until... We be the spouse in God's design, Ephesians 5. We be the person who puts your spouse above yourself. We be the person who goes from me to we. We be the person who enjoys life with your wife. Some of you are thinking, I said all of that at the altar. You absolutely said all of that at the altar. All of that. The question was not, could you live up to it when you were married? The question is, will you become the person who can live up to it right now? Two questions will revolutionize your marriage. The beyond question. Am I willing to move beyond the hurt and disappointment I've experienced in my marriage so far? And the become question. Are you willing to become the person you need to be in order to make your marriage work and thrive and be what it ought to be? Would you stand with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. And I've been challenged as a husband and as a dad through this series on the family. The question that Pastor Joel asked us this morning is, will you become the husband or wife that God wants you to be? And what that means and what that looks like for you is being in a right personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been watching this morning and you've never started that relationship with Jesus. It begins with you understanding, number one, that you're a sinner. 
Your sin has separated you from God and there's absolutely nothing you can do to fix your problem with sin. You've got to be willing to admit that. The second thing is you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross pays for all of your sins. The ones you did in the past, the ones you'll do today, and the sins that you'll do in the future. Jesus' blood pays for all of those sins. You've got to believe that. And then thirdly, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, we will be saved. And so right there, we've got to admit, believe, and confess. And if God has spoken to your heart this morning and you realize that today is the day you need to give your heart and life to Christ, right there in your living room, in the quietness of this moment, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, He was buried, but on the third day He rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for me. And right now, Lord, I ask You to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to You in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it, we want to say welcome to the family. In fact, there's a book we want to put in your hands called Welcome to the Family. And so if you would, just click on the link we've just dropped in the chat box. It says, I commit my life to Christ. Click on that link. Give us your name, your email address, and your phone number. We're going to put that in the mail to you this week. And we also want to connect with you because here's what we want you to know. You are not on this faith journey alone. We want to walk with you and help you take next steps as a brand new follower of Jesus Christ. Hey, it's been awesome to be together this morning. I can't wait for next week and our time together. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>